Our book this week contains themes of murder and filicide. If that isn't your cup of tea, that's fine, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Spilling Tea, the podcast where two friends sip tea and spill literature's dark histories. I'm Jane. And I'm Mackenzie. Yay! All right, our book this week. Are you excited? I am scared but excited for this one. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little like nerve-wracking that we're covering. It's a book. It's not a book. It's a play. I do have to say that it is a play. Um, But it is a little nerve-wracking because it's not something that is necessarily fun. Fun and also, and also it's a it's a translation that we're reading technically, that's so that's always scary. Anyways, our play this week is uh, Medea by Euripides. By Euripides. So we'll get into the plot summary and everything, but it's a Greek play. It let's, is. Let's just do some quick background on it. Yeah, Greek tragedy. Yep. Uh, usually covered in English classes. Mm-hmm. Or theater classes. Or theater classes. So um, both of us, I think, read it in school. Yeah, I read it in my sophomore year of high school English class. And I read it in my senior year high school class. Um, just It was like something for the, like what, a- AP? AP? I didn't take yeah. AP. I don't oh, know. yeah. It was for an AP. Um, anyways, uh, let's get down to our tea pairing. Yes. What are we pairing with this so, tragic, tragic play? I know how last week Jane said she wanted me to take some stretches, and I actually, (gasps) this is not my top choice tea for this book, so it's a little bit more of a stretch than I want it to be. I love stretches! So the tea this week is a Stash Premium Strawberry Pomegranate Herbal Red Tea. We love a good stash. We love a good stash. Yeah, because last week the Saratoga Tea and Honey Tea was not cheap. This, very cheap. Good old Target. Good old Target. (laughs) (laughs) i'm leaving that in i'm not cutting that that is staying in all right so yeah stash pomegranate tea strawberry pomegranate red tea and i chose i wanted just a pomegranate tea either a pomegranate white tea or an herbal tea because of the significance in pomegranate in so much of um greak mythology and plays like as you pointed out to me persephone is the the big one but um the Greeks also did think pomegranates were the fruit of the dead and believed them to have sprung from the blood of Adonis. And who's, a, who's Adonis? Adonis. I, I'm just going to let, let you quickly click on I it. I am quickly going to click on this. He was the mortal lover of the goddess Aphrodite in Greek mythology. Oh, okay. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. So yeah, I chose this one because Medea, obviously, as we said in our little intro, has a lot of death in it. Yep. And pomegranates, are, they're pretty Greek. Yeah. And they're associated with the dead. What? I mean, it's, it's not a, as much of a stretch. The strawberry pomegranate. The, I have no connection for the strawberries. Yeah, I mean, they have no significance. We were right just now. trying to find a pomegranate we tea, and this is what we could tea. do. Shout out to the Pioneer Valley for not having any pomegranate tea. <laughs> Poor Pioneer Valley. All right. All right. So do you time want for the tea pouring? Yep. Just get real close. Oh, but don't pour it on the mic. Ooh, it's such a pretty red color. It's a real nice color. Oh, thank All right. you. There you go. It's still a million and one degrees. It has not cooled down at all. It did rain. It, it did, did rain. But it didn't cool down. So we're all still right. drinking tea in a hot room. All right. All right. What do you think? Cheers. 
It smells oh. pretty good. I mean, we are using water from a Keurig, so it does kind of have that burnt smell to it. It always has that burnt smell. I like it. I do like it. I usually am not a big pomegranate person, mm -hmm. um, just because it does, like, have kind of like an acidic bitter It's a strange quality. flavor it's to weird. put into a tea. I will say that. I love it. I love, like, a lot of herbal teas. I like my tea to taste like fruit. I'm also having, I mean, I love herbal teas too, but I'm also having a hard time trying to figure out if I'm tasting the pomegranate or, or the, the strawberry. strawberry. Mm-hmm. Because both of them are pretty strange flavors, like... In a tea. In a yeah. tea. Strawberries are usually mixed with, like, other things, so I don't know mm -hmm. how I feel about it yet. I mean, it's not terrible. We mm -hmm. don't use any sweeteners for our teas. No, and we don't. plenty sweet enough. This is not one that you would put honey in at No, I would not all. put honey in this tea. No. <laughs> <laughs> plenty sweet. All right, are we ready to go on to the plot, plot summary? summary? Yeah, let's do this because I have spark noted what I needed, but I have not read the play in a hot second. Oh boy. All right. <laughs> so this is one of those plays that starts off with a lot of background information that's given to us by the character of the nurse. She kind of comes out and monologues at us at the very beginning. So she basically tells us that the play opens in a state of conflict. Jason has abandoned his wife Medea along with their two children. And he hopes to advance his station by remarrying with Glaus, the daughter of Creon, king of Corinth, the Greek city where the play is set. Can I just cut in briefly? Yes. Is it, I mean, you're like a theater and English person. Is yes. it common for Greek plays to have that character who sets the tone at the very beginning? I honestly have not read very many. I've read this and I've read Lysistrata. Mm -hmm. And I haven't read very many other Greek plays, actually. Well, we read yeah. Antigone. We did read Antigone. Did read Antigone. And but that's, that, that's not... Um, I'm not entirely sure. I don't want to give a definitive classical place. Yeah, I don't want to give a definitive yeah. answer on that. It's but definitely. I mean, it's something that you do see in a lot of older plays. I don't know if it's specific to like the Greek tradition of theater, but it definitely is something that happens. I mean, I'm pretty sure based on like my history background, mm -hmm. the Greeks were the oh first yeah, they ones like to did so plays. much with theater. All right, sorry to derail <laughs> that. Moving on. All right. <laughs> so all the events of the play sort of come out of this initial conflict. And all the involved parties become the central characters. So, yeah. So the nurse is out here monologuing. And after a long, <laughs> se <laughs> after a long series of trials and adventures, which ultimately forced Jason and Medea to seek exile in Corinth, they'd settle down and establish their family, achieving a degree of fame and respectability. Jason's recent abandonment of that family has crushed Medea emotionally, to the degree that she curses her own existence as well as that of her two children. Yikes. Fearing a possible plot of revenge, Creon banishes Medea and her children from the city. After pleading for mercy, Medea is granted one day before she must leave, during which she plans to complete her quest for justice, at this stage in her thinking, the murder of Creon, Glaus, and Jason. So, she's already planning to kill, like, three people. I, I, yes. Yes. Same. <laughs> Jason accuses Medea of overreacting. Of course he does. Of he's course a man. because he he's a man. Our theme is that we hate men. <laughs> moving on it's not I actually it's pretty similar but no okay but by voicing her grievances so publicly she has endangered her life and that of their children and he yeah. claims that this decision to remarry was in everyone's best interest Medea finds him spineless and she refuses to accept his token offers of help well yeah <laughs> she's yeah. direct 
Accurate Medea. So, appearing by chance in Corinth, Aegeus, king of Athens, offers Medea sanctuary in his home city in exchange for her knowledge of certain drugs that can cure his sterility. (laughs) Are you good? I'm good. (laughs) This will come back. Moving on. Wait, this comes back? No. (laughs) No. Moving on. Now guaranteed an eventful haven in Athens, an eventual haven in Athens, Medea has cleared all obstacles in completing her revenge, a plan which grows to include the murder of her own children. The pain their loss will cause her does not outweigh the satisfaction she will feel in making Jason suffer. For the balance of the play, Medea engages in a ruse. She pretends to sympathize with Jason, bringing him into her confidence, and offers his wife gifts, a coronet and a dress. Of course, these gifts are meant to convince Glaus to ask her father to allow the children to stay in Corinth. The cornet and dress are actually poisoned, however, and their delivery causes Glaus's death. Seeing his daughter ravaged by the poison, Creon chooses to die by her side by dramatically embracing her and absorbing the poison of himself. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. Well, that's, that's not fun. No. <laughs> we have a theme of depressing books, apparently. Um, but, yeah. 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 Well, a messenger recounts the gruesome details of these deaths, which Medea absorbs with cool attentiveness. Her earlier state of anxiety, which intensified as she struggled with the decision to commit infanticide, has now given way to an assured determination to fulfill her plans. Against the protests of the chorus, Medea murders her children and flees the scene in a dragon-pulled chariot provided by her grandfather, the sun god. Queen. Queen. I mean, like, not queen in the fact that she murdered her own children, but, like, queen in everything else. Pulling away from your problems in a dragon chariot. Yeah. 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 So, Jason is left cursing his lot, his hope of advancing his station by abandoning Medea and marrying Glaus. The conflict which opened the play has been annihilated, and everything he valued has been lost through the deaths that conclude the tragedy. Wow, what trash. (laughs) (laughs) What trash. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't even know, like, really what to say to that other than, like, Medea was not wrong in what she, she did. She killed her children! If you ignore the fact, bear with me, if you ignore the fact that she killed her children... But she did it. Okay, yes. But if you ignore the fact she <laughs> killed her children, she she took what she need. She did what she needed to do. She killed not Jason, though. I feel like he was the one that she, like, was the most mad at and angry with. But, but she didn't why would him. you... Okay, I'm awful and twisted, but if you're trying to cause someone suffering, why would you kill them when you can just kill everything around them and cause She's them misery? She's a good person. Well, I'm not saying she is, <laughs> but she's also fantastic for being a bad person. She's a... We love to hate her. I just love her. I love to love her, but also, like, acknowledge the fact that, like, what she has done is wrong. That's fair. But I also love her. All right. For being a great tragedy. Yeah. She's pretty badass. She's pretty badass as a great tragic character. All right. What about the life of Euripides? Because we don't really, like, that's not something that's necessarily talked about. We talk about a lot of the literature, but he's someone who's pretty important. Yeah. In, like... European trajectory of Greek theater. Yeah. Trajectory of, like, Greek theater and also just, I think, like, European history and thought. He did a whole lot. So, he was born in Athens, Greece, around 485 BC. Wow. 
Ancient. Vintage. 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 Vintage dude. He became one of the best known and most influential dramatists in classical Greek culture. Of his 90 plays, 19 have survived. Only, whoa, hold on, wait, 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 what, wait, out of 90, only 19? Only 19 survived. I mean, that makes sense because it's so long ago, but that's really... And a lot of these were oral traditions when they were first being told. Which is really sad because, like, he's not writing, you know, his writing's pretty dang good for what it is. It's real good. Oh, yeah. So, his most famous tragedies that survived, um, they sort of reinvent Greek myths and probe the darker side of human nature. Mm -hmm. And they include, obviously, Medea, um, Hippolytus. I cannot pronounce this. Which one? Alcestis and the Trojan Woman. If we mispronounce any of those, feel We're free so to sorry. send us hate. Send us hate about it. Honestly, uh, yeah, too. our Gmail is spillingteapodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. We send also us have hate. a Twitter. It's at spillingtp. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I, I don't know. Everything will be in the bio something or another. Anyways, All right. send us he, hate. Send us hate mail, guys. He died in Macedonia, Greece in 406 BC. Wow. And very few facts of his life are known for certain other than, like, he was born. Um, we know his family was most likely a prosperous one. His father was named, so sorry, <laughs> Menasarchus or Menasarchide, because we don't know. And his mother was named Menasarchid? Cleito? 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 I think Cleito. I'm so sorry. He reportedly uh. married a woman named Melito and had three sons. Wow. Over his career as a poet and dramatist, Euripides wrote, again, 90 plays, 19 of which survived. And of the three most famous um, tragic dramatists to come out of ancient Greece, the others being Sophocles and... Which so one? sorry. Oh, gosh. I know. <laughs> it's the other dude the who other wrote dude. things. There was, like, the three dudes. A-E-S-C-H-Y-L-U-S. Achilles? Achilles? I'm so sorry, ancient Greece. But wow. out of those Sorry. three, out of those three, Euripides was the last and perhaps the most influential. That that's interesting to me. Interesting to me because I feel like Sophocles would have been a little. I think Sophocles is a more well-known name, but I think people know the plays. They of know the Euripides plays of Euripides, more. but they maybe don't know that he wrote them. Yeah. Yeah. So, like all the major playwrights of his time, he competed in the annual Athenian Dramatic Festival held in honor of the god Dionysus. We See, need that. We I need those to come back. I can pronounce the Greek gods' names because I read Percy Jackson in middle school. <laughs> That's like one of the nerdiest things you've ever said. <laughs> I was really into Percy Jackson in elementary, middle school, high school. I still read Rick Um... I, I think we need to bring those play festivals back because that would be fantastic. Just, honor, everyone just gets, like, super drunk for a weekend <gasps> and just, like, because he's also the god of wine. Yeah. We can all just get super drunk and do theater all weekend. That sounds like a perfect weekend. Even I'd be down for that. You'd be down for the getting drunk part. Don't call me out like that. My <laughs> life decisions are not to be discussed judged. here. All right. Not to be judged. Well, speaking of this festival, <laughs> Euripides first entered it in four... Five, five, and he won the first of his four victories in 441. He was acquired, acquainted with many of the important philosophers of the 5th century BC, including Socrates. Oh my god. I'm, I'm sh- so shoeless. sorry. Is it a shoeless again? Pro- Prot- Protagoras and oh Anaxagoras. And he owned a large personal library. And he left Athens in 408 when he was invited to live and write in Macedonia, Greece. 
another name, sorry, <laughs> by Archelaus, the Macedonian king. He never returned to Athens and died in Macedonia in 406 BC. That's, yeah, I wish we had more information yeah, on him. we really don't know very much about him at all. Yeah, there's really no tea to Euripides' life and... No tea be, to spill? No tea to spill about Euripides, but, like, I mean, he's definitely influential. Like, we oh, still yeah. read him in English classes, mm -hmm. like, all over the place, theater classes, everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. I think he's a pretty cool dude. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, so... I've got a couple main themes. So I chose two main themes this week just because okay. one of them's alive a lot less information on just because I'm sure we'll cover it in the future. Oh, so yeah. I didn't want to go too far in depth. Um, so I'm looking at a lot of this from Medea's perspective because the play mainly centers about around her actions and her thought process behind everything. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that like, you know, I got her perspective, really. Because, you know, I am a Medea, like... Medea fan. A Medea okay. fan. I didn't mention when we read Medea in my class, we read it like a play, and we assigned parts. And uh, I read for Medea. I read for the kids. You know? <laughs> Both of them? Yeah. You know how they don't talk? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I had to fight to read second. for Medea. There was another girl in my class who really wanted to read for her, and I was ready to, like, throw hands to read for Medea. Someone threw hands to read for the nurse, and it was this, like, kid named Eli, and he was just really invested in reading <laughs> for the nurse, and he put on, like, a super feminine voice, and then it got, like, kind of sexist, so the teacher, like, stopped it. Him. Sorry, that got dark. The teacher, like, stopped him and reassigned it and oh then gave God. him the part of Jason just because Good. he was complete. So he could be spike. miserable. Good. I support that teacher. <laughs> so, just a little more background. It The play has recently received a lot of renewed interest in the feminist movement in the late 20th century, and I am going to touch back on this. Um... A lot of people view it as an exploration of the disadvantages of being a woman in a patriarchal society or as an expression of misogynistic attitudes, um, which, like, I do have to say, I, mm -hmm. I think it is a part of that just yeah. because it is about her stance as a wife mm -hmm. or as, well, not even an ex-wife because divorce wasn't a thing, just yeah. as a wife whose husband decided to take on a second wife. Mm -hmm. Um... But this is also countered by the, the like, sort of contrast to Medea's um, barbarian identity because she's, mm. according to my notes, hashtag she is not Greek, so hence barbarian. Yeah. I was a little salty um, looking into how there are some, like, theorists who read Euripides and say, well, Medea isn't Greek, so her opinions are lesser than that of the Greek people, which, like, I'm sure that there was some sort of hierarchical, mm -hmm. like, system in society at that time if you weren't Greek, but, like, the so I'm sure, like, theorists have something to go off of, but it's just frustrating. Mm -hmm. So, the play focuses mainly on Medea's calculated desire for revenge against her unfaithful husband, um... So, from this, I started to look at revenge, which has literally been something that has been around as long as humans have been around. Yep. 
Um, it's one of the deepest instincts humans know, and it dates back to some of the first civilizations that we had in the Mesopotamian Valley and everything like that. Um, the first written code of revenge was the Code of Hammurabi. Um, and Hammurabi, and that's Hammurabi of the first Babylonian dynasty. He created a code of conduct, which was one of the first to focus on the physical punishment of the perpetrator. Is that the, like, an eye for an eye? Like yeah, 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 yeah. So that's saying that an eye for an eye is legit an eye for an eye. If you take someone's eye, your eye will be taken. Mm-hmm. Um, he also had one, this was, there's, like, a couple, if you ever read through his code, um, they're pretty well documented, I, a lot of, because they were on, you know, like, the stones and yeah. that they had to chisel and everything, but they were pretty well preserved, so we do have a lot of the code, but this was an extensive thing. It wasn't just, like, the Ten Commandments, here mm-hmm. are ten things not to do. It was, like, hundreds of tablets worth of information of, don't do this or this will happen. Another example I have is if a son strike his father, they shall cut off his fingers. Oh, damn. So that's just like if you slap your dad, your hand's getting chopped off, basically. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is physical punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so revenge is a form of establishing justice, and the threat of it may be a source of protection. So that sort of means like, um, I'll take revenge on this person because, like, Batman, they killed my parents, so I'm gonna go and murder, or I'm gonna go bring in every criminal mm-hmm. in Gotham. Um, or it may be a source of protection in the sense of, like, if you do this to me, you're not gonna know what's, what hit you. Mm-hmm. Like, sort of threatening it. So, it makes sense. And the main reasons for revenge that are pretty well like, seen is preventing hostile actions towards you, and then also to inflict suffering on others, which is where, like, I think Medea lies closer to, because her whole plan for revenge, yes, it was gonna hurt her, in the fact, Mm -hmm. like, with killing her children, it was gonna hurt her, but she was doing it more because she wanted to hurt her husband more than it would hurt her. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. There, that's, like, all I really have on Revenge. I didn't go too deep into it. I, like, I'm sure we're going to cover it. Oh, yeah. Later Revenge on. is all over literature. Yeah, and, like, it makes sense. It's one of the deepest instincts yeah. we have as humans. So the other concept that I got pretty into is the concept of women's anger. Ooh, I like this one. Yeah. Um, it's one of the most misunderstood things in general, we live in a patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. Sexism is rampant. Um, so every time a woman defends herself, it turns into angry woman stereotype. So a couple of these stereotypes that are perpetuated in society is like the shrill wife, the crazy ex-girlfriend, um, feminazis, and the angry black woman is are like some of the main ones that you hear really yeah. frequently in society. Um... Which is kind of funny because a lot of these are used, I wouldn't say jokingly, but they don't Mm -hmm. really carry the same amount of weight as if they're used as an insult to women. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, people kind of say in, like, passing. I'm having a hard time explaining what I mean, Mm -hmm. but, like, someone could jokingly be like, oh, she's such a feminazi, but, Mm -hmm. like, 
it doesn't carry the same weight as if someone was like, well, you're being a feminazi. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of get what I'm saying? I'm not explaining it well. Um, so, anger, I wrote, anger is a radical refusal to remain silent and a refusal to be confined, to confine disruptive emotion. So, these angry stereotypes happen every time a woman decides to not have their disruptive emotion contained within their beings. Mm -hmm. When they express anything, any form of that, they become the angry woman. Mm -hmm. Um... So studies have shown that women tend to be most enraged by condescension, yep, neglect, and rejection. As in, like, if your husband, husband abandons you and your kids to marry a Greek princess to elevate his social status, you might get pretty pissed off. That's fair. Um, and men are usually the cause of women's anger or disdain. Understandably so. Relatable. <laughs> And there's they still are. Yeah, <laughs> accurate. Um, there are also so many tropes of the reb- the rebel woman who spoke her mind against society. Um, so yeah, just like I'll get into a couple examples of like the rebel woman who spoke her mind. So ang- and also anger is seen in so many works of literature, such such as the works such as the works of Virginia Woolf, Charlotte Bronte, um, and a few others because they felt the forceful power of oppression on them. So their way to get around that instead of angrily venting in society was to write about it and have it be more socially acceptable by sort of weaving it into their works of literature. Mm -hmm. Um, This theme dates back even to the Bible, uh, this is from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. I don't know if that's 100%. I'm not a religious person. I found this online. I have a Bible if you want to consult. <laughs> um, the... What did you say it was? The Old Testament book of Proverbs. Got the Bible. You can keep going. I'll All just right. check it right now. I got the so Bible right here. So, the quote is, It is better to dwell in the wilderness with a than with a contentious and angry woman. Ooh. Yeah, so... Damn, Bible... So, basically, I was looking a little more into this, but basically, it's better for people, for, like, a man to go wander in the wilderness with nothing than to spend a single minute with an angry woman. And that is in That's the disgusting. Bible. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna let you keep, I'm gonna keep moving on while you're looking for this. But there are a few more examples of it, um, of, like, an angry woman trope being seen throughout all of literature. Um, I also have a very famous quote from The Morning Bride, which was written in 1679. Heaven hath no rage, like love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury, like a woman scorned. So this is, like, the concept of scor- mm-hmm. women scorned. Um, and this is so ingrained in our cultural consciousness that it's manifestation, so... Anytime it's seen in pop culture media, such as movies like John Tucker Must Die and The Other Woman, where women join together for revenge, it seems completely natural for the woman to be angry. Yeah. And, I mean, like, in those situations, it makes sense that the woman would be angry, but to have, like, the woman scorn and to need to take revenge is something that's been more and more ingrained in our, like, our social minds and accepted of just women will be angry if this happens to them, which makes sense, but it's also more, it's it's more of a negative thing, like, 
I don't really know how to explain it, but it's coming from a patriarchal perspective. Oh, absolutely. So because men get angry all the time, and men get angry. And no one ever says shit to them. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for putting it in such great <laughs> wording. Um. So I'll go into a little bit of text from Medea once I'm able to pull up a uh, copy of Medea online. So the like whole women's scorn, women's anger thing is um, seen in Medea in particular when Jason says, this is not the first time, but over and over again, I have seen how utterly stupid and intransient temper can be. a hard time with words we, Yeah. Um... You had the chance to stay in this country and keep your home by patiently putting up with what your betters decide. But now you've had your say, and for it, you are to be deported. It makes no difference to me. Never let up saying that Jason is the vilest man alive. But for what you have said against the royal family, think yourself lucky, lucky to be punished with exile. So I'm not going to continue further, but basically um, that's just saying how, like, Medea's temper against, like, her anger for being mad at her husband for leaving her um, has caused her to get exiled um, via, like, Creon. And Jason is basically blaming her for being exiled because she has a, she got angry at him. So that's just, like... Another, that's the example from Medea, that, like, one of the examples, but her anger comes up over and over again, and it's usually, um, Jason telling her, like, you have no right to be angry, you've done this to yourself, like, blaming her. I did not find the quote you were looking for, but another quote, it's, um... In the Bible? Yep. Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 21.9. It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Ah, Fantastic. Mm. Good old Bibles. Um, so another example, this is getting into more of the female writers talking about how, like, their own anger is portrayed in their literature. So Mary Wollstonecraft, yep, Wollstonecraft I think that's how it's um, attacked this, uh, meaning... And by this, I mean the quote from The Morning Bride, 1679, Heaven hath no rage like love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury like a woman scorned. She attacked this in a vindication of the rights of, the, of women in seven, written in 1792 when she wrote, I war only with the sensibility that led him to degrade woman by making her the slave of love. Hmm. Which, which, like... I, I kind of like, because it's her saying, like, mm. I only go against the sensibility, meaning, yeah. like, what made him think that a woman could be the slave of love. Mm -hmm. I think is that's how I'm reading yeah. it, which, like, good on you, Mary. Um, Virginia, Thanks, Mary. <laughs> Virginia Woolf is, like, the ultimate embodiment of this refined rage. We love her. We We're do. definitely doing one of her books, don't yes, worry. Yes, we are. We're doing, like, 17 <laughs> of her books. Um, but in A Rooms a rooms of One's Own, Wolf writes of the anger in other women writers and in their writing. Um, in reference to Charlotte Bronte's anger in Hell Jane Eyre, yeah. 
So going wow, back to Jane, almost like we're all really familiar with Jane Eyre at this point. Wow, really? <laughs> um, so in reference to Jane Eyre, Wolf writes, "We feel the influence of fear in it, just as we constantly feel in it an acidity, like lemon acid acidity. Okay, uh, which is the result of oppression, a buried suffering smoldering beneath her passion." Damn, Isn't that a beautiful quote? Yeah, it is. Um, So, I'm not going to go into a lot of second wave feminism, just because there is so So much. much. Um, But second wave feminism was even more of an expansion of this refined anger. Um, Seen in, I have a couple examples here, Valerie Solanas? Solanas? Um, Scum Manifesto in 1968, and Martha Rosler's, uh, video installation of the semantics, uh, no, a sem- semantics? Not semantics, I can't read that. S-E-M-I-O-T-I-C-S. Semiotics? Semiotics, thank you. Of the kitchen. Oh, semiotics of the kitchen is incredible. Yeah, I need Have to. you watched it? I've seen parts of it. Okay, I need to watch the full Everyone thing. listening has to go watch semiotics of the kitchen. They it's took like, it off YouTube, so. I don't know. Find it somewhere. It's incredible. Um, so the semiotics of the kitchen was um, released in 1975. I just am going to do a little bit of a sidetrack into Valerie uh, Solanas. Sol- I think it's pronounced Solanas. I'm not sure. Um, she's particularly interest. She's particularly interesting in um, the sense of refined women's rage, because she was convicted for the attempted murder of Andy Warhol, because she believed she kind of signed a contract with him, meaning that he owned all of her work as a playwright. So she shot him and two other people out of rage. All of them survived. So she was only. And she did end up turning herself into the police the next day after the attack. Um, But she was so angry with Mm -hmm. the idea that, like, a man was owning her work Mm -hmm. that she shot him. She, like, found him and shot him. Mm -hmm. So, like, women's anger is something that events, like what happened with Andy Warhol and Valerie Solanas. (laughs) I can't speak today. Um, Events like that perpetuated even more that, you know, women, when they become angry, they become violent. Yeah. Just because a lot of times, I think even within myself, if I am angry with a man, I will keep it boiled down. I Mm -hmm. will keep it push down until it becomes so pressured within me that I have an outburst. And I think a lot of women are conditioned to feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is shown in Medea. I'm assuming, she, like, I'll go into, like, why I think this a little bit, but I am assuming that this isn't the first time that Jason has done something that has made her feel... Like, inadequate. Thank you, inadequate. Mm-hmm. Um, not deserving, just not right. Um, and I think a lot of times like, women are conditioned to just sort of accept that behavior. And I think it's something that we, we as a society um, and as a world universe, everyone needs to work on. Mm-hmm. So that's my spiel for the, I like it. for the, like, day about women's anger and how frustrating it is in society and how mm-hmm. it's been perpetuated through everything. But, um, 
we're gonna work on our own anger here and invent about who we think oh, the right. shitty characters so in the DR. Like, again, we haven't told each other who are shitty characters, but I'm like 99% sure we have the same person. Oh, yeah. So we should count down and then say it. All right. So don't yell. Three, two, one. Jason. Jason. All right. Yeah, oh, Jason. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So I actually... You can go... F- you want to go first? I have at least... So on... I don't know. So on Schmoop, Schmoop. the opening line Schmoop. of Jason's character analysis is... Jason is kind of a jerk. Accurate. If you took him on Oprah, he'd get a stern talking to. Uh, Oprah would do such good things to Jason. Yeah. So basically, he's married to her for, like, years, and he just decides to, like, go and marry someone else, and when Medea gets mad about it, like you said, Mm -hmm. he acts like she's being, like, the over-emotional woman. Oh my god, hold on. I have quotes about this. Let me find him. You keep going. You women are all the same. And he says, what we poor males really need is a way of having babies on our own. No females, please. Then the world would be completely trouble-free. Which, A, that's real gay. <laughs> Son. That's, <laughs> if you seriously, like, we we poor men, really, we have to have a way to make okay, babies without women. Let's, that's, Jason that's is really getting with, um, what is her name? Glouse. Glouse. Glouse, just to get with her dad, Creon. Let's be, let's be real. This is our retelling of Medea. <laughs> There's probably textual evidence to support it if you really wanted to. Probably. That's probably someone's thesis. So actually, going back to that quote I read before, I just want to read the entire chunk because this was part of it and then I'll scroll down and there's like a little more more of I just want to really read Jason being an asshole because it entertains me. Oh yes. Um all right. So we had left off with uh saying that Jason is the vilest man alive but for what you have said against the royal family think yourself lucky lucky to be punished with exile. I was constantly trying to S-A-S-S-U-A-G-E. I don't know. I don't know. The passions of the rulers and their anger, and I wanted you to stay. But you could not control your craziness, never letting up on your abuse of the royal family. That is why you are to be exiled from this land. Still, in spite of this, I have not come to renounce my loved ones, because, but because I care for your well-being, woman, so that you will not go into exile with the children in need or wanting it for anything. Exile brings many problems in its wake. Even if you hate me, I could never think badly of you. I hate him. And Medea responds to this with, you, dot, 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 you, utterly vile. Dot, dot, dot. This is the worst charge I have to say against your total lack of manliness. This is why I love Medea. Because she tells it like it is. Damn. Um. Jason, also, another (laughs) issue I have with him is that he literally would not be, like, a hero and he wouldn't have gotten the Golden Fleece if it wasn't for the, like, Medea's help. Yes! She helps him. She literally helps him. And then he steals her. But then he wouldn't be a hero. He wouldn't even be considered worthy of Creon's daughter who he leaves her for if it wasn't for Medea in the first place. And she points that out to him and he, like, downplays her. He's like, your cleverness played a part. And he says, your service did no harm. Like... Bitch, she did everything. Can I just, like, add to this with, he literally took her from her homeland. Yeah. Um, 
He took her as a prize for victory. Medea says, I am abused by my husband, carried off as plunder from a foreign land. He dragged her away from her mm-hmm. family. He's a shitty person. Oh, my God. Um, I also wrote, like, his evilness stems from weakness rather than from strength, which is just sad. Like, it's just sad. If you're going mm-hmm. to be a villain, be a good fucking villain. Jason's a, sh- Jason's a shitty villain. And he even tells Medea that she should be grateful for having had the chance to live in Greece at all. Yeah. And he says, you have a hometown in Greece instead of some barbarian land. Yep. So she's supposed to be grateful to him for, like, stealing her? She was a princess in the kingdom of Colchis before he, like, took her. She is the granddaughter of the sun. Like, she didn't live in a mud hut. Like, she was no, doing No, she was good. doing great, and then he just took her to a different land and started treating her like trash. Mm-hmm. I also, like... Medea cares so much for him. Like, she, after he hurts her, she's so suicidal, she she says, Oh, Zeus and earth and light, hurl your fiery bolt of lightning straight through my skull. What use is life to me? Like, she's so in love with him, calling him, like, her everything. And it's just heartbreaking that he's that much of a trash human. He's the worst. Like, he also married Glaus for security. I'm going to say it only as Glaus. Glaus. For security. Like, he didn't actually love her. He just wanted to upgrade his social status. Oh, big mood, though. And um, I also just wanted to add in that Glaus means murdered by Medea. What the fuck? Like, I looked up the what does Glaus yeah. mean, and it means murdered by Medea, like the name. Like, that's its own, that's... Yeah. I, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but I found it on, like, a baby names website. That's wild. Yeah. How crazy is that? So, crazier that people are out there naming their baby Glaus in the year of 2018. Dude, I'm gonna name my baby Glaus. Glaus Jr. <laughs> Murdered by Medea she Jr. Wouldn't, she wouldn't be Jr. because you are not Glaus. You can senior. add Jr. if you want. It's not going to be J-R. It's literally going to be Glaus <laughs> Jr. Like J-U-N-I-O-R. Is or is she going to have a hyphenated first name? Uh, no hyphenated. It's just all together one word. Glaus Jr. <laughs> all together. Wait, no space. No space. It's J and Jr. capital. Yes. It's capital Glaus. Capital, capital Jr. <laughs> oh my god. You're never had kids. <laughs> not planning on it. Glaus Don't worry about it. <laughs> Dog, like a cat and name it Glaus <laughs> Jr. And you're gonna come over and I'll be like, Mackenzie, 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 look, I got a kid. And you're gonna be like, oh god damn it, it's Glaus Jr. And I'm like, I'm like and then just hand you like a fluffy little fur. But then ball. what if you got another cat? What if there was like a neighborhood dog that's name was Medea though? Oh no, no! That, that's why you shouldn't name your cat Glaus. Who's gonna name their dog Medea? I don't know, some bitch who would name, like the same person who would name their cat Glaus. So I'm going to get a dog named Medea. Someone of a similar mindset from you. You're just rude. Wow, I'm like, I'm hurt right now. I'm sorry. So I also, this is like not a shitty character. Um, I do have to say like a lot of people hate on Creon. I'm not, I don't don't really hate on Creon. He's just a dad trying to do what's best for his daughter. And Glaus is just dumb. Like, she really is. The nurse is kind of an asshole for, like, spoiling Medea's plans, but, like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, she was worried about the kids. Yeah, I think that's Yeah, fair. so, like, I get it. Um, the chorus just sucks, but the chorus always sucks in place. Like, it always sucks in place. Yeah. 
So I have a little bit of a separate tidbit just because she wouldn't tell me what this was about, and I have been begging her I all day. I want to see your like true reaction to Ugh. it. So it's about Aegeus. Aegeus, who's there for like a hot second. Yep. So in the book, he can't have kids and goes to the oracle to like tell him what to do. Uh Um, so they can have kids, and then, like, that's when he stumbles upon, after he sees the oracle, that's when he stumbles upon Medea, and Medea's like, hey, Aegeus, what did the oracle say, if you don't mind me asking, if you're okay with sharing it, and he's like, oh, yeah, like, it's totally fine, um, the oracle told me I would have kids if I did not lose, lose the projecting foot of my wine sack, meaning he would have kids if he did not drink wine. The reason being, I did a little bit of background on this. Ah! Are you ready? No. The reason being, alcohol lowers your sperm count. (laughs) (laughs) And they knew about this in ancient... Okay, hold on, we'll get to that. So, chronic heavy drinking um, has been known, or has been, like, studies are working on it still to see Uh if it really does affect... But it's been known to cause shrinkage to the testicles and decreased testosterone production in the brain um, and creating hormones imbalance, hormone imbalances with men, which is why, mm-hmm. um, like, raging alcoholics are often violent. Yeah. Um, it can also cause impotence, the loss of male characteristics, i.e. reduced facial and chest hair, and the development of man boobs. And the... Um, Deposition of more fat on the hips to give more of a feminine uh, Uh body shape. Studies have also shown that it does affect sperm count and sperm quality by affecting the shape of the sperm, making them unable to fertilize the egg. So, that was legit. That was legit. So, but this is like, this is probably, like, this stuff that wasn't being studied until at least the 1800s. So, how did he know I don't know. I think Euripides isn't real. Like, no, no, I mean, like, I think Euripides... is <laughs> like a god. Like a seer or something. Like a like, seer, like a soothsayer. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, Euripides yeah. was onto some shit. Because how, how could he have known? Like, I thought that was so crazy. Yeah. oh, that's wild. I, I read that, and I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, oh, if you didn't drink yeah. as much, like, you would have kids. And then you look into it, and, and then like, I oh. looked into it, and I was like, oh, my God, if you really didn't drink that much, he yeah. would have kids. I had no idea that, like, I assumed alcohol would expect, like, yeah. affect your sperm count, but I didn't realize that it was because it physically reshapes the sperm. The sperm. So you can't, like, they can't fertilize an egg. How wild is that? That's ridiculous. <laughs> so I just kind of wanted to, like, get you with that because, like, that's funny to me. And that it is. made me I like giggle. It. Um, but yeah, that's all I have. (laughs) Sorry for bringing up sperm, but I just wanted to say sperm. 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 (laughs) Are we like eighth graders in a biology class? Uh, yeah, completely and totally. Also, like, sorry that we're doing like speed round podcasting. It's, it's the middle of the week. We've got things to do. We're tired. It's, it's been hot, you know, but, um... Anything else you'd like to drop in for Medea before we put her back on the shelves? I have to say for Medea. What a queen. Excited to read her again and, you know. Yeah, for class. For class in a few weeks. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up here. 
Um, so thanks so much for listening to Spilling Tea. The tea is spilt and the covers are closed. See you next week.